hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of your Not So Anonymous Journal. This is the first time that I am recording this intro after the fact of recording the whole podcast episode with my guest on. And I'm super excited for this episode because I had the pleasure of talking to Sarah Savoka, who is a friend of mine that we met online. And we just are very similar to each other. But she was someone who had went to college, played Division I uh, volleyball at University of Portland, and then went on to work a nine-to-five. She realized that she didn't feel fulfilled in her nine-to-five and decided to branch off and become a life coach for entrepreneurs. And what had happened was she leaned into her purpose and leaned into something that felt a little bit missing in her life in terms of who she wanted to work with and how she wanted to work with people. And what she had realized was that she truly wanted to work with athletes and the mental side and the mindset side of playing a sport. And so I'm a mental performance coach, which is something that is now up and coming, but I'm so grateful that it is. Also, the themes that we touch on within this episode not only relate to if you're someone who plays a sport or whatever it is, but a lot of this relates to how you approach life in general and the way that you approach careers and relationships and how you make choices and why you make choices. And so even if you don't play a sport, this episode is still very much for you because you can take away a lot of the broadened themes that we touch base on. And so Without further ado, I hope you guys love this episode. Honestly, I can say that this is definitely a favorite episode of mine because I was once an athlete and so was my brother and we both had two very different experiences playing sports growing up. And so I just feel like if I knew or if I had someone like Sarah in my life when I was growing up and playing sports and especially in high school when I decided not to play sports or play soccer in college, I might have actually played soccer in college. So I think that this episode again touches on so many things. It's truly such a powerful episode and Sarah is just the coolest and chillest person ever, which is why I love her. So all right, let's get into the episode. All right, Sarah, so take us through where your story started with your career. Yes. First of all, I just want to say thank you for having me. I am super stoked to be here. And um, yeah, I guess just to be one of the guests on your podcast, I am so excited to bring my world, your world together and talk about the things we're both super passionate about. And yeah, so with that being said, where my story began, I guess I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, played sports my entire life, horseback riding, Um, I like how that's the first one I list (laughs) soccer, you know, the common sports, (laughs) soccer, softball, volleyball, um, played basketball for a hot second. And I really basically found my love for volleyball. I started playing club volleyball my freshman year of high school and quickly made it a goal to go and play collegiately. I always knew I wanted to play collegiate sports. It was kind of just something that like I knew deep down. And I was also fortunate enough to have um, my dad who was super passionate about helping me get there. So I made a lot of sacrifices along the way to really go and 
play collegiate sports. I went and played at University of Portland, where I majored in business finance, got my leadership certificate there, went and um, worked in the corporate world for a bit, realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, and basically ended up now as a mental performance coach. So that's like super high level story. I'm sure you're going to want to drill it down a little bit, but yeah, that's that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah. So wait, what drove you to want to play volleyball out of all the sports that you played? That's a good question. I loved the team aspect. Now being on the other side, it's interesting because there's individual sports and there's team sports. And I just loved that team aspect. And for whatever reason, I really liked that there was like a net in between us. Like I liked that there was like there's, here's our side, there's their side, and we're still competing. I wasn't like huge contact sports person for whatever reason. I don't know exactly why, but volleyball was fast paced and it was just a game that I just found a deep passion for. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because I feel like all of the traits and aspects that you pick up from playing sports ultimately bleeds into your career and how you work with other people and being on a schedule and being really organized and just having that overall structure. Like, do you feel like you've taken away things from playing volleyball that now you've implemented into like your work? 100%. Because sports was such a huge, huge part of my story growing up, I think that it would literally be impossible for me to not take things from sports into my career now, whether I am consciously or unconsciously doing it. And that comes down to even like working with people in a team setting, because if you think about it, when you're in a team and you're on a team and with volleyball, there's about 12 to 14 girls on a team you're working with a bunch of different personalities. So you have to learn how to not only play together with these different personalities, but also get along with all of these different personalities. And I mean, that right there is transferable into um, the workplace, into coaching now. And I mean, even beyond that as well. You and I talk a lot about how we're, we take pride in being very organized people. And I definitely do think that comes a lot from because I played soccer. That was like my main sport. I played basketball for a hot second too. Didn't last long. <laughs> I'm like, this is tiring as fuck. I just, we're good with soccer. So I just feel like- <laughs> We find a lot of similarities, but I think like in our work and just our personalities, but I think that also comes from our history with playing sports. So I just think that it's cool because you can kind of like tell when people play sports, you can kind of like see it in them, their drive and just like their want for more and just like the motivation that they have behind a lot of things that they do. Yeah. But before we kind of like jump ahead to like you working with athletes, which is like, I'm just so excited for that part, but (laughs) where did you back to the nine to five? When did you kind of decide, okay, this isn't really for me. I want to start my own business. And like, what made you want to jump into doing like your own business on your own and running it? I am such an intuitive person. And so sometimes I get asked these questions and I'm like, it was just a feeling like I just knew. (laughs) (laughs) So part of it is like, I truly was in this place where I kind of had always like glamorized what I thought corporate America could and would be. And I was like, that would be so cool. Like I totally manifested (laughs) myself 
working in corporate. Cause I was like, yeah, like getting dressed up, going into a corporate office, like the whole thing. I was like, that's going to be awesome. And I don't know when it clicked. It had to have been sometime in college, but I realized that what I had been or how I had been seeing corporate life and that workplace was not actually what it seemed to be. And I think now that I'm like talking about it and kind of verbally processing it, I was introduced to entrepreneurship my senior year of college. And I quickly realized that a lot of the things that entrepreneurship could provide me with were things that I greatly desired and were things that I wouldn't be able to get in a normal job. So when you think of like trading your time for money, right? Like I didn't want to have to trade my time for money for the rest of my life. Like I wanted to be able to create residual income, being my own boss, making my own schedule. We're joking like literally earlier that I was the one that like sent you the zoom link for this, you know, like (laughs) it's just innate in me to like kind of like take the lead and go do things. And it's like that I, it, it can happen in corporate. However, it's like that just kind of screams entrepreneurship. So I think that that's like the, there was this kind of moment that went off during college that I was like, okay, if I go the corporate route, I'm still going to get that security. I'm still going to get that you know, those benefits, that income. And I mean, the kind of like safety of like, well, this is what my parents want me to do. And like, they're going to be proud of me if I do it. So like, might as well go ahead and do it. And also I kind of had this like inner knowingness, this feeling in the back of, or this like deep knowing and feeling that like, this is something that can be for the short term. I know that the lessons and the things that I'm going to learn during this period are going to be very vital and very important. And once I figure out the thing that I want to do that is, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, then I can go off, go and do that thing. However, at the moment when I was introduced to entrepreneurship, I hadn't actually really gotten to the point where I'd understood my authenticity, the things that I truly valued and really my life's purpose, um, which is something that's constantly changing and constantly evolving as well. I just want to say that. And so I just kind of, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And see, I love that you just said that because Mm -hmm. the, where you said, the things that I'm going to learn, this might not be a forever thing going into a nine to five, but the things that I'm going to learn are going to be so crucial in my growing and evolving and being able to run your business and being an entrepreneur on your own. Like that's going to help you so much. And you had said that to me before I had even thought about starting a podcast. And I'll never forget, sometimes people come to you and they give you like these words of wisdoms and these little nuggets that you just don't forget. And that was something that you had said to me because I was like, I'm, you know, doing website design, but at the same time, I'm having this pool and this drive to want to become a life coach or some sort of person where I'm integrating mental health into my life. And I just didn't know how to do that. And because I had no idea that anything about life coaching or mental health coaching, I was like, well, what if I get into it? And what if I don't like it? And I feel like so many of us, when we think about taking the next step or doing something that we feel like we have to do in order to get the next step, it's really scary. And that's why a lot of people don't take that next step. But what I love that you had said to me was, 
the thing that you decide to do next might not be end goal. It might not be forever, but it's going to be a stepping stone to the thing that you're meant to do afterwards. And so I just thought that that was really cool because it almost gave me like a little bit of relief to be like, maybe it's not the thing that I want to do forever, but I think that it's going to give me a lot of valuable things for me to take on to the next decision that I make. And ultimately through that, I came to this conclusion that I wanted to start a podcast because I figured I could help more people and that I could touch more people in a way with mental health. And so I just think that it's really cool that you were able to be like, okay, I I know that a nine to five isn't something that I have this drive or passion for because I have a bigger purpose in this life. But for the time being, there are a lot of positive things I can get out of this. So I'm going to stick it out, see how it goes. And when the time comes, I'll do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That warms my heart so much. Just like hearing you say all of that and like, yeah, it's just, it's so true. It's like you might have, cause like in my eyes, and I don't know if this is how you see it or how you feel it or how you think about it. But in my eyes, it's like you had this intuitive like hit or this intuitive pull to do something in the mental health space. And even though you didn't know what it was or you weren't sure exactly how it was going to look, you kind of like followed that intuitive pull knowing that it can still provide you with something that will be another step towards whatever the greater thing is going to be. Bringing it back to you, I mean, you just to kind of, for I guess we're going to push a little forward, you went from working with business-based people or entrepreneurs to athletes. But when you were working with entrepreneurs, when was like the click that you were like, I love what I'm doing, running my own business, but maybe it's not entrepreneur-esque type people that fill my cup up. When was like that shift? So there was kind of like, there were some like blocks that I was facing in my business, like super transparently. Like I knew it's like the success was coming, the clients were coming, they were starting to come. And there wasn't this like momentum that I knew would be happening if I was in full alignment. And I felt so aligned, like working one-on-one with my entrepreneurial clients. Like I love it. Like I still have some of them um, that I'm working with right now. And like, it still lights me up and fills my heart so much. And so there was this part of me that was a little bit scared because I was like, how can I feel so aligned and also feel like there is still this place where I'm lacking alignment? So I honestly just like kind of surrendered to the universe, to God. And I was like, please like help me call in more alignment. And this was probably September, October of last year, 2022. And I was mostly through my NLP neuro-linguistics programming um, certification classes. I just had one more or two more to complete. Um, My last, last training was what was going to help me get board certified as an NLP master coach and trainer. And I went into that week. And this is like a super intensive training. It's a week long. They ask you to basically cancel all meetings, everything that you have for that week and put your sole focus towards that training. Like we were sleeping, all sleeping in the same hotel. 
we had class down in the, um, in like the conference rooms. And during that training, one of our assignments was to come up with metaphors. I may have told you this story before offline, but I came up with metaphors and all of them were related to sports. Every single one of them actually backtrack. Three of them were sports. Two of them were movie related. I went, I got feedback. The feedback I got was Sarah, your sports metaphors, they landed your movie metaphors. I'm really confused on the message you're trying to give here. I'm all set with your movie ones. We're all set. (laughs) I was like, okay, okay. This is good feedback. Thank you. You know? And so I was like, I come back, I'm working on my metaphors. I'm like, okay, Sarah, how can I make this simple, easy, fun, simple, easy, fun? Well, the sports metaphors landed. Why don't I just create two more sports metaphors? So I created the two more sports metaphors. I delivered them. They landed. It was great. And then I had this epiphany, like this light switch finally went off. I had known that there was a lack in my ability to own my story It was something that I was actively working on in my business. And all of a sudden, the metaphors that were sports related were like, holy crap, this is the story that I haven't been owning. Because when I graduated from college, I was so done with volleyball. I was so burnt out. Like the senioritis was at an all-time high. I didn't touch a volleyball for a year after I graduated college And I was just over it. I thought that that chapter of my life was closed and I was like, fine with it. However, what I didn't do, or maybe what I did do was I just kind of totally disregarded it at the same time. And so how can something be such a big part of your life? And then all of a sudden it's just completely quiet. And I remember actually talking to you about this because you inspired me and you're like, oh my gosh, Sarah, like these metaphors, like this would be so good for you to share to your audience. And it was like some sports related metaphor. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, why don't I share more sports related metaphors? Like that's how I can relate to people. So long story long (laughs) after that training, um, actually before it even ended, I basically had made the decision that I wanted to move into, um, coaching athletes, mental performance coaching for athletes, because it was something that I even had actually mentioned. I was like, oh, down the road, you know, like mm-hmm. I would love to coach athletes eventually. But I was like, why am I saying eventually? Like, why don't I just do it now? Like, if I'm calling in this massive alignment and I'm needing and wanting to own my story more, then this is the answer. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt with this podcast. I felt like I had this pool oh. to. I mean, we were going through our epiphanies at the same time. Like it was legitimately, we were like pinballing off each other. I was like, I have this feeling. And you're like, go for it. And then you were like, I think I want to do this, but I might wait. I'm like, no, go for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I literally just had this pool to want to start my podcast. And so my one friend once told me creative ideas have a shelf life. And she was so right because I had Mm. thought about back in August, how I wanted, that was like the first thought when I was like, I think I want to do life coaching or mental health coaching. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, these are the types of services I would have. And I just like entertained the idea, but then I completely let it go. I was like, nah, I was like, I just, it's not the time. It just, it's not, it's not landing for me. 
a couple months went by, this thought never left my mind once. And then <laughs> I had you in my ear. I had Mike in my ear. I had a couple other people in my ear. And then eventually out of the blue, my former business coach was like, let's hop on a podcast and like on her podcast. And I was like, dope, I'm down. And then I was nervous. And then I hopped on and it went amazing. I was like obsessed with the episode. I was like posting, you know, little snippets of it all over the place. And I was like, you know what? This is my next step. And honestly, if I wait any longer, I'm not going to want to do it. And sometimes the pool just becomes so hard. Gosh, just like do it. Like just, just do the damn thing. And then you do it. And it's crazy how, and like, for me, as soon as I said, yes, this is something that I'm going to do. The mic was like, I'm going to buy you the microphone. I had like 10 people immediately be like, if you want someone on your podcast, I'll be on your podcast. You know, it's just, it happens like that. And I know the same thing started to happen with you with, you know, athletes and you, I mean, we have to put in the work to get to that point, but I mean, it was like, it flowed very well for you. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's like, it was just everyone around me, everyone who has known me for, you know, a month, two months, a year to like my longtime friends, they were just like, this just makes so much sense for you. Like, mm-hmm. yes. And I was like, I didn't get that. Not that I needed it or I was searching for it. And when I was coaching entrepreneurs, but I hadn't gotten that kind of like support and reassurance before. And then on top of that, yeah, like my leads just started like flowing through which was like, it just hadn't happened that way. It felt almost like hard. Totally. So what is like, what do people, athletes also, what kind of athletes and like what age group do you work with, but what do they typically come to you for? Yeah. Good question. So part of my story is, and I think this is like, what's attracted the people that I have so far. And don't get me wrong. Like I am still very much building this coaching business. It's still fresh. It's still new. However, what I've noticed so far is that a lot of these athletes are struggling with lack of confidence. They're struggling with imposter syndrome. So that knowing or feeling of not being enough, they're struggling with things like performance anxiety Um, the list really goes on. Honestly, they're struggling with like, well, how do I manage if I don't have playing time? You know, for me, when I was a 15 year old, I played up to a 17s team knowing that I was going to get less playing time. So for me, I'm like, wow. Okay. So how can we help these athletes from a mindset perspective, actually see the benefit here, right? Like You're training with this team to get better. This is a team that is a higher level than you and you are who you surround yourself around, right? And so by you actually training with this team is helping you perform at a higher level. Maybe your playing time isn't as up, but maybe there's more college coaches watching you because this is a higher performing team, right? So it's stuff like that, that I have been mostly coming across a lot of people who are athletes who just get in their head, they're constantly overthinking things instead of just really being in the present moment and in their body and trusting themselves a lot. Trust was something that I really had to work on. Self-love was something that I really had to work on. So a lot of self-love, a lot of self-trust, things like that. Yeah. And I feel like so much of sports 
And I feel like this is becoming a little bit more prevalent today because I feel like a lot of people are talking about mental health more and breaking the stigma that we're starting to realize how much mindset actually affects how you show up for your sport and not even that, but just like life in general. And so, I mean, I see it all the time. Mike is, you know, a strength and conditioning coach and pitching coach for pitchers for baseball. And I see it all the time, how much Mike is helping these kids as best as he can. I mean, he doesn't have like trainings and certifications like you do, which we'll get into, but it's like you do as much as you can for the athlete because you start to notice as a coach or as a trainer, how much their mindset is affecting how they're showing up for practice, which then ultimately affects their progress, which ultimately affects, you know, how they perceive their game time or how they're showing up in front of, you know, college uh, recruiters and things like that. Like it really just is like a snowball effect, you know, and it all just starts from your mindset. And so when these athletes come to you, what are like the modalities and what are the tools that you have in your pocket that you bring to the table with them in a session to help them? Yeah, totally. And one thing I want to say, just kind of like rolling off of what you just said there is that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. A lot of athletes, they see sport as their outlet, right? They see sport as a way for them to get away from the stressors of life, of school, of whatever else is going on, either either in their family or in their relationships or whatever it is. And they also need to realize, and they also start to realize that when they're showing up in their life, they also bring those th- same things into the onto the court, onto the field, onto in the pool, wherever you are, right? And the reason behind this is because 90%, 95% of our life is created from our subconscious mind. And a lot of people, this is just like science that isn't taught to everyone that I really believe should be, but our subconscious mind is that part of our mind that is created during our imprint years. So during zero to seven years old, zero to seven years old, all of the experiences we have from our upbringing to the culture we're um, raised in to the socioeconomic um, state we're in, All of that impacts our subconscious mind, the beliefs we hold about ourselves and others, the thought patterns that we create, all of that. And so what happens is after zero to seven years old, we start running those and it just keeps going. And there's only that five to 10% of our life that's really run from that conscious standpoint. So as you can imagine, if you're trying to make change from a conscious standpoint, which most people try to do, it can be really, 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 really hard. It's once you actually tap into the subconscious thoughts, beliefs that you're running and that you're looping and you can reprogram those, reprogram those neural pathways that you actually start to make change. I forget exactly what question you asked, but I think you were asking me what modalities I use. Yeah. Yeah. So the root of NLP or neuro-linguistics programming, same methodologies and modalities people like Tony Robbins uses is how to communicate to the subconscious mind. 
So the modalities I utilize are different NLP modalities. Um, I'm also a master practitioner in timeline therapy, and that is another form of really helping clients reprogram those subconscious limiting beliefs that's holding them back. And I also am trained in ICF or the International Coaching Federation. I look at them as like the Harvard of business schools. They are super, super phenomenal. So they provide me, and they're also NLP based. They provide me with different question asking modalities, just ways to really hold space, help my clients really process their emotions, stuff like that. So that's really the kind of like how. It's really crazy because if you think about how most of your day-to-day and the choices that you make come from your subconscious and how you view the world and things like that, I mean, that starts to, again, if we're talking from the sports perspective, like the way that you, you know, experiences happen to you while you're playing your sport, that then can stick with you for a really long time and ultimately bleed into different aspects of your life. And so as you were telling me that, I was thinking about this. So in high school, I will never forget my coach hated me for no reason. Like she just never liked me. And I had to to deal with that for four years. And I got to see all of my teammates be like captain and be loved by this coach. And I'll never forget me and my two really good friends, we all got injured around the same time. Like my one friend like split her head open from a header. My other friend broke her collarbone. I sprained my LCL like it was horrific, but I got back first and I was benched and I was a sub was put in for me. My two other friends eventually came back immediately put into the game. Nobody was like, they were never benched at any point. Nobody else got playing time over them. And this affected my confidence in so many ways. And it makes you not as confident and it makes you question yourself all the time. And just like that self-empowerment just goes right out the window because like you said, sport is becomes like your life. And so I started to take the way that I was feeling about sport and taking it into my day to day. And it took me a really long time to just eventually just kind of forget that whole situation because it would really make me upset that I'd be like, why does my coach hate me? Why, what am I not doing right? Am I not a good player? And you start to just have all these negative thoughts and emotions and questions around this whole thing. And it did affect like a lot of how I showed up like in the future. And, you know, to a degree, I was almost like glad after my senior year of high school that I never played sport again, because I was just like, some of the experiences you face really do affect you. And yeah, it's just really interesting that the way that we also approach situations like that do ultimately stem from our imprint years of zero to seven years old, where whatever you dealt with at that time filters into how you're handling situations as you get older. So it really does go to show that a lot of this does stem from your subconscious. And if you let that go and you let that be, I mean, it's going to be really hard for you to just grow into the best athlete and the best person that you can be if you don't deal with these like negative thought process and processes and looping cycles that you come across. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's like having those experiences, like how I see that is like, it's not a failure, right? Like everything is feedback. So it's less about forgetting it and more about learning from it. Right. And this person, like this coach 
everyone's just projecting, right? So it's like, there was probably some part about yourself that you really deeply owned and subconsciously she did not own. And so she projected that insecurity onto you. Yeah. And I didn't know any better. I mean, I'm in high school, you know, I'm still growing. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what I want my degree to be in, in college, let alone my coaches out here every single day, just being like a negative role model for me. And it's, it's, you know, and that was just my experience. There are so many experiences yeah. that athletes have. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I can go, I could go deep into that, but where I'll take that is part of like where I would love to and where I see myself taking this part of my business is not only training the players, but also training the coaches. Because a lot of times there is undertrained coaches who are coaching teams and teams of people and they way that they interact with the athletes can leave a bad taste in their mouth or can affect their confidence levels or things like that. It's sad, but it's just the reality as well. So wait, what is like your favorite part about working with athletes as like your home base for clients? Like, what do you love about just that whole idea? I think it's because I see myself in them. I struggled with a lot of the same things that these athletes struggled with. Like I struggled heavily with performance anxiety. Like during college, I would literally give myself asthma attacks. At the time I thought it was asthma. I had an inhaler. Like when we were having a tough practice and coach was having us touch six, do lines, stuff like that. I would give myself an asthma attack. And it wasn't until later that I realized it was actually anxiety induced. And so from the performance anxiety to the lack of confidence to the negative looping thoughts where I would just get in my head and like, oh my gosh, I can't hit a ball in to save the life of me, like for the life of me. Right. And it's like those negative things that are just looping and projecting. And I thought, well, this just is the way I am, you know, like I can't change anything about it. And so I think it's like, for me, I see that part of myself in these athletes that I'm working with. And I just really want to provide them with the tools and the resources and the knowledge that I didn't have when I was going into college. And I am so grateful for my college experience. I loved my head coach. I was super fortunate to have him for the four years that I played at, um, university of Portland. And he was, you know, he's the head coach. Like he can't also be the mental performance coach, you know, however, why I'm so thankful for him. One of the reasons is because he actually did bring that mindset aspect into his coaching. And I think that that's really where the seeds were planted for me. Um, I don't know how much of it I really grasped <laughs> while I was in college, but I do know that like the seeds were being planted for me. Like he had us read books like The Four Agreements, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, books like that to really 
start to understand how a team really operates and how you really have to take personal responsibility for yourself as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it just comes down to working with the athletes that I see commonalities in that I had with myself. And then further than that, like one-on-one -on -one private coaching, like that's my bread and butter. That's my jam. That's where I freaking thrive the most. Like that's where my clients see the biggest results. Like that is where I just feel like I am living in my purpose. Like I am so lit up. I am so excited to be there. I just, I feel like it's naturally my personality and what I'm supposed to be doing. It's amazing because you can tell the people that are meant to do something, especially when you are your client, when you are the person that went through exactly what you know the people you're trying to work with are going through. That's yeah. when so much magic happens. And that's exactly, I'm, I know I keep bringing it back, back to the podcast, but for me, like I just know how I had felt when I was really down in the dumps with my mental health. And I just see all the time people being like, you know, if I scroll on a TikTok and I see someone's having a bad day or something and all the comments are like, I feel like a burden and I don't know where to have a safe place to talk to somebody about. Or like, I don't feel like anybody gets me or like, I just feel like so alone. It's like, I was that person. And that fuels you to be the most unique and hopefully one of the best people in your field down the line when you just keep working with that purpose and just that passion behind what you want to do. And I just think that it's really amazing that you are a mental performance coach because there's not a lot, at least I don't know, of a ton of mental performance coaches out there. And they're super needed because again, like I'm around a lot of like Mike's athletes and I just see it all the time. And then I reflect on my days as an athlete and how much I would have benefited and probably played in college if my mindset and my subconscious beliefs around what I was going through were a little bit better and well, a yeah. lot of it better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm grateful that it is a growing industry because I like, I had a conversation with a coach, um, mental performance coach, really well-known, super well-respected. He's been in the industry for 30 years. When he started though, it wasn't a thing like sports psychology wasn't a major having a mental performance coach. Wasn't a thing. I don't even know what he called himself. And he's like, now it's like, it's amazing because universities and colleges are starting to actually have mental performance coaches on staff because they see the mental health aspect as being so important. They're starting to understand that there's a correlation between your mental health and how you're showing up on the court in the field, wherever you are. Right. I mean, for example, Simone Biles, right. She wasn't able to show up in the Olympics, yep. right. Because of mental health challenges. And it's like, people like that who are using their voice and coming out and saying, Hey, I'm struggling with this when it's like, you know, how many different accusations were made on her that is just absolutely ridiculous. And like now that coaches and, um, like club directors and universities are just really like being able to grasp like, Hey, this is actually a problem. And this is something that we need to provide resources for. It just makes me like, it makes my heart so happy, honestly. 
Yeah, no, definitely so needed. And I, it's just really awesome to see it growing and I love it. And with that, I want to get into some rapid fire questions for you just about some of the questions that I got from some athletes that are like in your ideal world. So I'm just going to pull them up on my phone and we can just go through them. We're just going to go rapid fire about this. So let me know when you're ready. Yep. Hit me with them. Okay. First question I got was how to deal with the grief of moving from one sport to another. Allow yourself to feel it. And allow yourself to like sit with those five stages of grief. I find with a lot of people and what I've had to work through a lot as well is that a lot of people shame their emotions. They're like, oh, I'm feeling like anger. I'm feeling sad. And they're like, well, now I'm angry about being angry. And now I'm angry about being angry about being angry or whatever it is. Right. It's like we're humans. We're all supposed to feel. We're supposed to feel all emotions. So I guess I would say avoid denying it, sit with it, love it, ask your inner child what he or she needs and give that to them. Love it. Cause a lot of it does go back to your inner child. And that's so forgotten that like you said, it's all in your imprint years, zero to seven. Talk to that inner child. I do that a lot in therapy. Okay. Next question is how to deal with the pressure that parents put on you to succeed. That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, that's a tall order to ask, but to do the yes. best of whatever you can yeah. focus on. Without context, the first thing I would say is like have a conversation with your parents. Let them know how it makes you feel and how that pressure really is affecting you. A lot of times, again, back to that projection, the parent is really putting pressure on the athlete as a projection of themselves, typically. Um, and that's why I love the book. I bring it up twice now, the four agreements, because it goes back to don't take anything personal. Right. I also find that the reason why these parents have a lot of pressure on the children is because they're the ones who are financially bought in. And so they have this, this, their money behind their kid being in sport. And all of a sudden now there's pressure on them. Right. So if you can actually, and the athlete can actually help the parents see that it's a win-win or maybe even a win-win-win when the pressure is taken off the athlete because the athlete performs better, the team performs better, and the parent gets what they want, the best use of their money. If the athlete can help them see that it's really a win-win-win, when the parent takes that pressure off, then I think that is what is really the best way to deal with it. And again, without context, perfect scenario. Um, That's what I would say. Okay. Next question. How to deal with the feeling of not being good enough because you're not committed anywhere for college and you see all your high school teammates are. Hmm. Okay. Whenever I hear good enough, it's just like ding, 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 imposter syndrome. (laughs) So the feeling of not being good enough and the root of imposter syndrome is in comparing yourself to others. So what I would advise this person is to stop comparing yourself to others and start comparing yourself to you. And when you start seeing and recognizing all that you're doing, the imposter syndrome would go, will go away. 
Oh, imposter syndrome's everywhere. It's the worst. Yeah. Well, it's because of social media. Because when, like, with social media, like, that's something that's just so common in our day and age. Like, when you're scrolling, you're literally subconsciously comparing yourself to, I know these are supposed to be rapid fire, but I'm like, you're good. <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> you're literally like subconsciously comparing yourself to the person on the other screen. And people are constantly doing that throughout the day. And so people who are on social media more, I'm pretty sure that there's been studies, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure there's been studies that the people who are on social media more typically deal with imposter syndrome to a greater level. When coming back from an injury, how do you get over the mental hurdle of re-injuring yourself again and keeping a positive mindset? That's a good question. I'm going to offer a reframe here. And I actually just heard this the other day and I really loved it. So I'm going to adopt it. When you're injured, your new competition is getting better. So I offer this person to bring that competitive spirit that's on the court field, pool, et cetera, to the training room, to their rehab. Your new number one goal is to get better. So start competing in that way. Okay. Last question. When's the right time for an athlete to ask for help? Always. If you're struggling, always. Like there's never an obstacle that's too big or too small if you feel like, oh, well, you know, back to that comparison, well, Tommy's struggling with this thing, which is way bigger. So like, I just like, my thing isn't a, like relevant and like, I should just be fine. Like, no, if, if it's hard for you, it's valid. If you have tough emotions around it, it's valid. Um, if you feel like you can be in a better mental, physical space and you're getting in your own way, ask for help. It's like, that is like a coaches, like mental performance coaches, sports psychologists, like that's our dream, like for the athlete to be like, Hey, I'm struggling and I need help. Like there are people out there who want to help you. Yeah. And a lot of how you show up is affected by your mental health and the way that you think about things. So it's like with that attitude, it's going to be really hard for you to shake the struggles that you're going through. And if you even have a thought in your mind right now, like my issues aren't that big of a deal. That's a ding, 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 red, or yeah, a flag for you to look to figure out where that's coming from and work with someone who's qualified to help you figure that out because then you could start connecting the dots. I mean, for me in therapy, it's like, gosh, I, I started going into therapy because I had anxiety, but then all of a sudden my anxiety is connecting to all of these dots all the way down to me being like four years old. So you start to connect the dots, like what you're dealing with right now might not be just what you're dealing with right right now. It might be something that is even more rooted that you aren't even aware of right now. And that's where the subconscious comes in because you're not even aware of it. You're not conscious that that is something that's affecting you and triggering you or cueing these responses out of you. And so it's like a lot of it, you might not even realize is the reason, but you can get there if you work with someone like you, who's qualified enough. 100%. Yeah. And like, if you're just pushing it down and like saying like, Oh, it doesn't matter that much. Like you're really just shoving it under the rug and like, what's going to happen. It's going to pop back up. Like 
Of course it's going to, if it's something that's subconsciously looping, like it's going to pop back up again. The reason why I realized I had performance anxiety in college was because it was something I didn't deal with. And then surprise, it popped up in my professional life. And I was like, Hmm, these are kind of the same things that happened when I played sport. So it's like, well, either deal with it now, deal with it later or deal with it never and struggle for it for a long, 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 long time. So yeah, I think it's like, take that proactive approach and that's always going to be like, what's best again, nothing is too big or too small. Love. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a fantastic episode and I'm very excited to share it with people, a lot of people that I have in mind, but thank you so much. Tell us where people can find you on social media. Yes, this was so, so fun. Yeah. So, um, my Instagram page is coach Sarah Savoka. It's coach Sarah with an H and then Savoka, my last name, S A V O C A. And then my website is the savokaco.com. Yes, ma'am. Amazing. By yours truly. (laughs) By your girl. (laughs) 